Thibodeau, Neal, Robinson, Bellinger, Belton, these guys aren't only playing as, you know, rookies, but they're playing key roles. They're making big plays and they're a huge reason why you beat the Baltimore Ravens, right? I mean, so the Giants are rebuilding and they're playing rookies in key positions and they're winning. That's a neat little, that's a neat little combination right there when you think about it. The early returns in the Giants 2022 draft class have been healthy, very healthy especially Sunday against the Ravens. We'll get into that a little bit later in the program. But first and foremost, it's the Giants Wire podcast. Welcome into the show. Just a great time to be a fan of the New York football Giants, right? The team is 5-1. and one. Upset win over Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. You having fun yet, Dan? I'm running out of ways to say I'm surprised with what's going on. I don't know. You know, obviously no one predicted this. This is what, 5-1 and one with back-to-back victories over two of the recent league MVPs, one in London, one at home. It's just it's just wild. The comeback wins, the excitement, the crowd's rowdy. It's, it is a fun time to be a Giants fan. It certainly is. And now it's just about keeping that ball rolling. Yeah, I mean, the fan base is charged up, right, Dan? I mean, I don't know. When was the last time MetLife, MetLife Stadium was that loud? You know, the, the Giants' defense and that crowd noise towards the end of the game, I mean, that was a difference maker, right? That made it really hard for Lamar Jackson and company to operate. It it felt like the Giants were like one of the front runners, like one of the real teams in the league. When you hear that crowd noise and the the teams playing that way, I mean, it kind of brings you back a little bit. Absolutely. It brings you back to Giants Stadium. MetLife Stadium has never been as loud as it was on Sunday. Um, You you do have to go back to the old Meadowlands days uh, for crowds that were that into it and that wild. I think Jesse Armstead was one of the guys who said after the game that he had never heard that particular stadium that loud. And, he, you know, he alluded to the fact that it sounded like the old giant stadium. Uh, you heard from the, you know, the players themselves who were like, as long as I've been with this team, I've never heard it like that before. It was just deafening. And you, you could even, you could hear it through the television. If you were watching on television, I mean, there was no mistake in how absolutely bonkers that crowd was. And, uh, you know, that's a far cry from, the last decade where the loudest anybody got was telling somebody in front of them to sit down. It just leads into the question, Dan, the big question that everybody's asking, right? Are these giants for real, for real, right? Are they for real? Uh, or is this just a lot of fun being five and one and we're just living in it, right? Are we living in some fantasy land or are the giants for real? And typically when, when you fire it, when you bring up this question on the show, we talk about it. I would say, what are the points per game numbers for the Giants? And no, you can't win like this because the Giants don't score. That's just been, I've railed against that for, you know, years uh, on the show here. Doing It's just saying you can't win if you don't score. Well, the Giants are actually scoring now, Dan. They've scored 127 points in six games. That's 21.2 per game. And it's almost, it's almost a full touchdown and extra point. So it's six points better per game than basically a very similar roster last season, right? Just a new coach, just different coaching staff. But last year's team averaged 15.2 points per game with the same quarterback, a lot of the same receivers, all that. Uh, So you're scoring six more points per game. That's a huge difference. Uh, Last year, you were second to last. And in 2020, you were second to last in points per game. So the Giants are scoring and that's making them a lot more fun to watch. That's giving them a chance to win these games at the end. And, you know, we're at the point now, Dan where Saquon's giving up touchdowns at the end of the game to run the clock out. Like, Barkley could have ran it in. The Giants could have scored 31. I'm giving them credit for 31 points. I didn't factor that into the uh, points per game. But I'm giving them credit for 31 points against the Ravens because Saquon could have walked into the end zone and he decided not to. So they're scoring. And I think if you want to give an argument that, yeah, this is not just a pipe dream, that the Giants are getting better and they are, you know, they are legit 5-1, and I think the points per game is where I would look first. But what do you think? 
it, it's hard to sit here and, and say, yeah, this is a guaranteed playoff team, maybe NFC championship team. But listen, as Bill Parcells has always said, you are what your record says you are. And right now the Giants are five and one. Uh, there's no more important number or statistic than wins and losses in the NFL. So five and one is five and one, no matter how you slice it. But, you know, offensively, the Giants are clearly more functional. They're clearly more capable. They, they seem to be getting better each week. Um, they, you know, there's things they need to clean up and fix. They, they need to get off to faster starts. Um, you know, they need to be better at, at first down passing in particular. Uh, you know, if they could play more in the, in the first half like they do in the second half, I, it would be much easier to say, yeah, this team is very legitimate. But, you know, it's it's a rebuild. It's still early in the rebuild. The Giants were, you know, pretty open up and transparent about the fact that we're not going to know who this team is until, you know, week six, seven, eight. And now we're starting to get to that point and you're looking at this team. And, and I guess, you know, it is a fair question. Are they for real? Well, you know, they're winning the tough games. They're coming back. They're, they're you know, these stunning upsets. But now they're getting into the part of the schedule where, regardless of what Vegas says, you're looking at it and saying, if this team is legitimate, these are the games that they've got to win. Uh, you know, win the games you're supposed to win. And they've got four of those coming up. You know, where, you know maybe you can make an argument that Seattle's not a give me, and it's certainly not the way that they're playing. Uh, but either way, these are four, you know, four games coming up where they should be competitive, they should be in them, and arguably they should win. And... Now we're going to find out whether or not the Giants are for real, for real, because you got to take care of the business you're supposed to take care of if you're legitimate. So the Giants are going to answer that question for us here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, is it sustainable, Dan, to come back in the fourth quarter every game? Uh, probably not, right? They've done it four times, four fourth quarter comebacks by DJ and the Giants and the defense. Maybe not the most sustainable thing. And yeah, I mean... The schedule is getting uh, lightened. It's it's lightening up, right? I mean, the Giants just played Cowboys, Packers, Ravens, three out of their last four. Now you're Jacksonville, Seattle, but both of those games on the road. Seattle's a tough place to go and win. Yeah, their crowd a very is, tough place. Their to crowd go. is ridiculous. Uh, Jaguars, Seahawks on the road. Then you're back home, uh, Houston, Detroit. So these are four teams that, yes, we would have said in the preseason, and I think we might have back on schedule day, we said these are four games in uh, the Giants' weight class that they should be able to handle. So mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be fascinating. You know, even if they split these two games, Dan, they're going to be in a really good spot. I mean, I'm not going NFC Championship and Super Bowl. No, I don't. I don't believe that. I think that's living in a fantasy land. But yeah, playoffs. Right. I'm kind of living in that world right now. I think the Giants are going to go well, to the playoffs. Right. I mean, listen, they're five and one. It's hard to look at that record and be like, no, they're not. They're not in the playoff hunt. We can't talk about that. You know, there's still a little bit ways to go before you start having that conversation. But five and one's a pretty darn good spot to be in if, if you're, you know, thinking and talking playoffs. I don't know what the percentages are, but I, I'd venture a guess that any team that's five and one are probably above ninety percent going to the playoffs throughout NFL history. So they certainly have positioned themselves well. And like we've all said, you know, now they got four games where they could start padding that a little bit. They should be able to pad that a little bit. And I think this is where we're really going to see who these Giants are, not just because. These are winnable games, and you got to see how the players are going to react to going on the field and taking on teams that they're supposed to be, you know, quote unquote, supposed to be. But I think more than that, and you've heard me say this, you know, I don't countless times since we've been doing this podcast, the Giants traditionally play up and down to the level of their opponents. And for a lot of Giants fans, that, you know, gives them a little bit of pause going into these games because it's like, 
what version of the Giants are we going to see? Are they going to revert back to their traditional ways? Or are Brian Dable and company going to take this opportunity, grab the bull by the horns, and keep the foot on the gas pedal and not let the Giants play down to the level of their opponents? And if they do that, then I think, yeah, we need to talk about how the Giants are legitimate. Well, I believe in the coaching staff. I believe in Dayball. I love this guy. And he might be a quarterback whisperer, right? Dan, I mean, we saw what he did with Josh Allen in Buffalo. When when Allen came into the league and he really struggled with his completion percentages and, and a lot of metrics. Allen's first couple of years in the league were bad. People love to bring that up when they're, you know, they're trying to go to bat for like a guy like Justin Fields who's really struggling. They'll be like, hey, hey, look at his, his stats compared to Josh Allen. Everyone loves to do that in the first couple of years of Allen's career, but then he took off. Right. And he just became this like superhuman. And I'm not saying Daniel Jones is is there yet, but we're seeing a clear acceleration in his development all of a sudden, Dan. Right. He's he, he's playing his best football easily this season. He's playing really, really good football. Some of the best football in the league over the last three weeks based on analytics. Now, I don't want to get too far in the we in the weeds here, Dan. Can't really talk about expected points added per drop back and all these analytical stats because I'm not smart enough. And I read your article on Giants Wire, and I still don't quite understand. All I know is that you're saying, basically, maybe I have this right, is that uh, improved pass protection plus a better scheme has kind of unlocked something in DJ that we haven't seen. And that's a big reason for this 5-1 start, obviously. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, again, analytically, say whatever, you know, the stat heads will argue well, DJs, you know, this, that, and the other thing aren't good enough and blah, blah, blah. They'll find another one, yeah, yeah. Wins and losses, they're right where they should be for a good quarterback. Analytically, he's at the top of the game over the last three weeks and improving. So you look at those two things, and it's hard to, you know, argue the stats or what's holding them back, you know. Um, The Giants, Marcus Johnson dropped a touchdown on Sunday, so that took a touchdown away from DJ. Uh, Darius Slayton earlier in the season dropped a touchdown. That took him, you know, a touchdown away from him. And the other part of the the stat head argument is, is that his overall, you know, yards and, and touchdowns just aren't good enough. They never factor in what he does with his legs. And, and cumulatively, you know, DJ is an all-around talent. And that's just the nature of his game. And it is something that Brian Dayball is unlocking. You know, he promised not to let DJ get away from running the ball in an effort to protect him further. And to DJ's credit, he's done an excellent job, not only not turning the ball over, but protecting himself in situations where in previous years he would take big hits and hurt himself. So I, I think there's a whole bunch of different factors that are going on at once that are you know not just transforming the Giants, but transforming Jones himself. And I, I think if you're an objective observer, you look at the last three weeks and you, you could make the argument, yeah, this kid is playing really, really good football. I mean, 15.2 points per game last year, Dan. It's like we, we, we kept coming on here every week. We can't score. We can't score. What the hell? It was just mm-hmm. painful to watch the Giants. Yeah. And now it's now it's fun. They're competing. They're scoring. And I think well, yeah, and there's a lot the of guy. different, you know, yeah. contributing factors to that. Obviously, you got to tip your, your hat to, to Shaquan Barkley, who's arguably be playing at an MVP level. Yes. Um, he's in the conversation. Know, there in, yeah. There are certainly instances where he's getting bottled up a little bit, but teams are selling out on him. And, you know, the expectation was is that, oh, well, we'll just go in and stop Barkley and make Daniel Jones beat us. Well, the problem is, guess what? Daniel Jones is beating you. Looking at some of his third down throws the last few weeks, it, it, you're, it's like you're watching an entirely different quarterback than you've seen in recent years. Um, his accuracy and on-target passing is is among the league's best, if not the league's best. Um, you know, his the zip on his throws, I mean, he's really ripping some of these balls into tight spaces. Um, he's getting more comfortable in the pocket. 
You, you notice he's not seeing the ghosts in the last few weeks. He's trusting his offensive line. E- even though they're still giving up the most pressures in the NFL, they are steadily improving. And you've heard me say it in recent years, all they have to do is be average. They just have to be average to see what this offense is capable of. Obviously, they have issues at wide receiver. I don't think there's anybody that's going to debate that. Um, but what's the argument with quarterbacks, right? It's always been good quarterbacks will raise the level of play around them. Well, DJ haters, I've got some news for you, fellas. He's raising the level of play around him. Yeah, he's playing great football. And and you just made a really great point that got my mind moving. Like, maybe teams are treating DJ like he's a backup quarterback. You know what I mean? And maybe they should stop. Maybe they should start giving him respect. And maybe we'll see defenses uh, trying to game plan for the quarterback a little bit more and not just on Saquon Barkley and making DJ beat him because uh, that's something you hear all the time, right, Dan? Oh, you know, the Giants, they, DJ's a backup quarterback. Well, maybe defenses are scheming that way. And it's that's maybe you should, you know, Wake up and smell the coffee now, right? TJ is uh, turning the corner. I think it's very obvious, and there's uh, there's analytics out there to back it up. Uh, another thing you said, Dan, is that the Giants are in a rebuilding year, and you and you're so right about that. It's easy to rem- forget that. Like the the Giants are kind of in the same spot as Chicago. They're playing a bunch of rookies in, in key spots. Only Chicago's not winning, and the Giants are. Uh, but I w- I want to look back at the uh, the early returns from this 2022 draft class. They're all over the place, making plays, especially in this Ravens game. We'll get to that here coming up right after we set our fantasy lineups. This is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. Ori Benini with TheHuddle.com here to bring you strong plays for week number seven. Indianapolis Colts quarterback Matt Ryan at the Tennessee Titans. Regardless of what happens with this banged-up backfield, the smartest way to attack this vulnerable defense is through the air. Ryan evidenced this in Week 4 by logging 359 yards, two touchdowns, and 25.4 fantasy points. The Titans have surrendered at least 317 passing yards in four straight games, and every quarterback to face this defense has tossed at least two touchdown passes. No quarterback has thrown more than one interception in this time. Cleveland Browns running back Kareem Hunt at the Baltimore Ravens. This matchup favors pass-catching backs far more than it does those who make their living on the ground, like Hunt's backfield mate Nick Chubb. This is the number six opponent for receptions allowed and number eight for aerial gains over the past five weeks, though none of the 28 total catches since week one found the end zone. The downside here is that Hunt has no more than three catches in five straight games, including none last week, and he topped out at four grabs for 24 yards and a touchdown back in week one. He's somewhat risky, but the upside's tremendous. Wide receiver DJ Moore versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Once again, quarterback PJ Walker steps into the starting lineup this week, and he has a small sample size of targeting Moore. In Walker's 2020 start, he threw 31 times, sending 11 Moore's direction, and the duo connected on 7 of them for 127 yards to pace the team in targets and yardage. Last week, 6 of Moore's targets came from Walker. Tampa's given up the 10th most catches per game to wide receivers in the last 5 weeks, and the position has averaged a touchdown per game over that time. Gerald Everett, Los Angeles Chargers versus Seattle Seahawks. Despite seeing seven looks in week six, Everett's second highest total on the year, it produced only 29 yards on five receptions. While it looks like LA will get Keenan Allen back on the field this week, there's a silver lining here to be found in the matchup itself as Everett's former boss has allowed the most fantasy points to tight ends in the last five weeks. No team has given up more yardage, and this is the third best opponent to face for the odds of scoring a touchdown. Like Kareem Hunt, he's risky, but there's definitely upside at play here. For more award-winning fantasy football tips, news, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com.
sportsbookfantasyminute.com. That was your typical Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, we're back. And uh, Dan, the Giants, I, I wanted to talk about the early returns for the, the 2022 uh, draft class, right? I, I, we're trying to count before we start recording. I think it's six rookies played, four started in this win against the Ravens. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of other rookies that were either inactive or injured in the game, right? And you're getting like all of this production from the Giants rookies, like like in just an order of where they were drafted in this ball game against the Ravens. Kayvon Thibodeau, right? Game ceiling strip sack on Lamar Jackson in the fourth quarter. Uh, obviously, he was loving it. The, the Cowboy, I mean, Cowboys, his teammates were loving it at the end. It was just perfect, right? Evan Neal, solid in this game, right? Why don't you jump in here? Evan Neal, it seems like he's getting better. I thought it was his best game. I, I do. I genuinely believe the grades from uh, Pro Football Focus reflect that. I don't you know, take that as gospel necessarily, but it does fall in line with what I saw in the game. I thought it was not even arguably. It was most definitively his best game as a professional. Um, they left him alone in a lot of one-on-one drop-back pass sets, which they hadn't been doing. Um, he handled those exceptionally well. He was standing his guys up. He, he just did an all-around great job. And um, you, you see it. He gets a little bit better and a little bit more confident every single week. And I think you're just starting to scratch the surface of what you're going to get out of Evan Neal. Yeah, so Thibodeau and Neal, obviously the two you know, big draft picks from the Giants in the fir- early in the first round. We're expecting to get returns from them. So, But then Wandale Robinson, second-round pick, three catches on four targets, 37 yards and a touchdown. He plays in this game, and he plays well. Daniel that was Bell- on 15 snaps, by the way. 15 so that's, that's snaps. Worth noting. Yeah, 15 he did that snaps. on 15 snaps. That's pretty impressive. Speaking of a guy who played basically every snap, 94%, Daniel Bellinger, the tight end. Dan, who I know you you kind of love this guy, right? Five receptions, oh, yeah, five yeah. targets, 38 yards, touchdown, all team highs in the game. Oh, there's so much more that he brings to the table than just that offensive production, though. I mean, it's great that he's, he's turning into a reliable and clutch uh, pass catcher for Daniel Jones. It reminds me a lot of like a Jake Ballard from back in the day. Uh, but also what reminds me of Jake Ballard is he's an exceptional blocker. That's, you know, offensively and on special teams. He was just demolishing guys on special teams on that Gary Brightwell return. He flattened one of those one of those gunners, just completely put him on his back. Um, he's really good as a blocking tight end. He prides himself on being a good blocking tight end. Uh, I think he's doing an exceptional job, whether it's, you know, chipping, uh, run blocking, pass protecting, special teams, uh, receiving. Like I said, he's clutch. He's got a high catch percentage. He just does it all really well. And, you know, none of the, nothing on the box score is going to, you know, blow you out of the water. But the kid is, he's, you know, they're throwing a lot at him, and he's handling it really well. And that includes things like, you know, running the Philly special, making the right decision on not to throw the ball, to run into the end zone. Just little things that, you know, you look at rookies that they're not usually mentally there like he is. Like he is – engaged he knows what he's doing he knows his assignments he knows the offense he knows special teams he's just you know i would argue that he might be right now the team's best rookie i love that i mean tight end was such a an area of need right when evan ingram left town and 
even when Evan Ingram was here, tight end was a very big position. Yeah, right, right. Uh, and then, you know, they draft Bellinger and it's like, uh, who is this kid? San Diego State. Like, oh, man, what, what a pick. He's looking like a, a great player. As, as you're saying, Dan, he's they're scheming things up for him on offense. Not like they're, you know, not like he's a threat to, you know, go for 100 yards or anything, but they're scheming things up for him. And on top of all the other things, they don't even want to take him off the field anymore. He's, he's basically playing every snap. He played the most snaps out of anyone, any non offensive lineman or quarterback in the game. It just, that tells you something about Bellinger. And Dane Belton, another rookie, played uh, safety in this game, 71% of the snaps on defense. And among the team leaders with six total tackles, there might have been other rookies smattered in here, Dan. These are just the ones I, I highlighted after the game, but it's like Thibodeau, Neal, Robinson, Bellinger, Belton. These guys aren't only playing uh, as, you know, rookies, but they're playing key roles. They're making big plays and they're a huge reason why you beat the Baltimore Ravens, right? I mean, so the Giants are are rebuilding and they're playing rookies in key positions and they're winning. That's a neat little, that's a neat little combination right there when you think about it. And and Belton fits right in as far as what Wink Martindale is trying to do defensively. I mean, you can move them all over the place. And again, Going back to what I was saying about Bellinger, he's a good special teams player as well. And, you know, even DJ Davidson, who's unfortunately out for the season now due to a torn ACL, was, you know, he was, he's a fifth round, late fifth round pick who was playing, you know, he was playing pretty well and getting better while he was on the field. So, you know, Cordell Flott's another one. He's injured now, but, you know, he was growing. You could see the growth. He wasn't, certainly wasn't lighting the world on fire, but he was getting better. Um, Azudu is another one, offensive lineman. You know, obviously he's not starting, but every now and then they'll throw him in there and he handles himself pretty well. Seems like he's getting better. All in all, I think it's a really good draft class. And, you know, again, you look at someone like Kayvon Thibodeau and everybody wants to talk about the the sack, the strip sack that sealed the game. But I don't even think that was his best play in the game. A lot of what he's doing is going unrecognized uh, in the box score in particular. He's he's stout against the run. He's setting the edge, which is, you know, that's that's difficult for an edge rush, you know, rookie, you know, because you want to get in there. You want to. You, you want to light the world on fire, like I was saying earlier, and you want to get these stats and these sacks and these highlight plays. And the dude is just doing what he's supposed to do. And he's playing well and he's letting the opportunities come to him. And, you know, you could see that he reaped the rewards of that at the end of the game when he was finally able to get not just his first sack, but seal the win for the Giants. And and that came because he stayed within himself, within his role, and, and stayed on the ball and, and waited for it to come to him instead of chasing it. Yeah, and, and Thibodeau's the guy, right? He is the face of Joe Shane's first draft class. He is, so he's the guy mm-hmm. we're all we're all and and we we saw his face all over social media with that you know that little selfie video that kind of blew up when Thibodeau's in tears and he's like, it's, "I'm happy to be here" and all that stuff. And it's like, I don't know. You see, you know, you see, he's becoming a fan favorite pretty quick, Dan. Yeah. You see, his teammates are loving him in the locker room, right? All they wanted to talk about was Thibodeau's first sack and how they're not going to be able to mess with him anymore because he's going to be so, you know, he's going to be talking crap all week. And it's just, you know, it kind of feeds into that good vibes thing we were talking about last week. But Well, he's uh, on the respect completely and across the board because he works hard. And like I said, he stays with himself. He's not out there freelancing it. Um, You know, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Even when it's not flashy, he's just getting the job done. And uh, he's a very talented player. And I know there were some questions about his work, work ethic after he was drafted. Um, you know, it's about midway through the season, not quite. Uh, but you could definitively say that those have been squashed. That kid works hard. He works really hard, and he's earned the respect of his teammates because of that. Well, going back to our conversation in the previous segment about the Giants, you know, are they for real? Well, they are 5-1. and one. We both believe that they could easily make the playoffs this year based on what's coming up next year on the schedule. I think they're going to have a good record through the first 10 games. 
and it, it feels wild to say this, but should the Giants like look at being buyers at the trade deadline, Dan? This is another topic that I'm kind of interested in. Uh, you know, another thing is that's kind of cool with them scoring a lot more points this season is that they're doing it without Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay, right? Uh, so they could go and find a receiver at the deadline. There's names out there. I'm seeing rumors. Chase Claypool of the Steelers. He had a good game against Tampa Bay, helped the Steelers pull off that upset this past week. DJ Moore of the Panthers. I think the Panthers are tearing it down. Brandon Cooks of the Texans, where you see that all the time. Free Brandon Cooks. Get him out of Houston, right? Brandon Cooks is a really good receiver. I think the Patriots is another team to look at. Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, two guys that have kind of fallen out of favor. The Patriots want to go with their new rookie, Tyquan Thornton. He scored a couple touchdowns this past week. There's a bunch of names out there, guys that could come in and help. What do you think? Do you think the Giants should look at that? Should they go after a receiver at the deadline? It's an interesting question. It's something that you know Giants fans are starting to discuss pretty pretty openly and, and frequently. I, I personally get a lot of emails and messages about it. Uh, a couple of the writers have discussed it as well. It, it's a weird situation for the Giants to be in because you never really anticipated them being in a position to make a run. So, you know, then you start saying, well, do they look to upgrade some of their weakest positions? And I think the problem that faces Joe Shane and the Giants is that this is an obvious rebuilding season, and they've never made any bones about that. Um, they very particularly and specifically tried to get Giants fans to temper their expectations. Um, <laughs> Good. That didn't work you out. Know, during the offseason. Obviously, that didn't work uh, for reasons we've already discussed on this podcast. Um, but it's troublesome for the Giants because they're not going to win the Super Bowl. And I know there are some fans that are going to be like, how, how can you possibly say that? How can you know that? I'm just trying to be realistic about it. Um, I don't envision the Giants going to the NFC Championship game. I don't envision them going to the Super Bowl. I certainly don't envision them winning the Super Bowl. So then the question becomes, do you want to trade assets from a rebuilding team for a stopgap at wide receiver when you've only got $3 million in available salary cap space right now and would likely need to kick the can down the road on another contract to fit in a high-priced wide receiver when – all reality are probably not winning a Super Bowl anyway. So that's really the problem the Giants face when trying to make this decision. And if they did acquire a wide receiver, I think it would be a younger, talented wide receiver that's more equipped to do something long-term for the team rather than something that's you know done short-term for the team. Because you saw in Buffalo with Josh Allen, they got him digs, and it's like a light bulb went on, and all of a sudden he, he you know turned that corner with yep. Dayball leading the way and became this remarkable quarterback. And I think with the Giants, the same sort of scenario, maybe not to the same level of success, is possible. But I don't know that any of the receivers that are going to come available at the trade deadline meet the criteria that the Giants would need or be willing to give up those assets on a rebuilding team to acquire when they could just use those assets next year to acquire such a player. Yeah, rebuilding teams don't, typically buy at the deadline <laughs> that that typically does not go it together, is a, right it is, it's a very strange situation the giants currently find themselves in. yeah i think you know it's probably more realistic that they just ride it out and hope you get something from Kadarius tony right. if his legs that, will ever th- heal up right and i think that's exactly what it's going to be too that they're gonna they're gonna hope that tony gets healthy and that he and, and robinson can turn into these you know wildly talented you know, gadget kind of players that, you know, they're capable of being and that maybe, maybe, knock on wood, uh, Kenny, Kenny Galladay comes back and with those two sort of 
dominating. Um, it opens some things up for him down the field. Again, that's a lot of hope, but I think that scenario uh, plays out better for the current version and the current brand of the Giants than it would for them to trade assets to go out and get a wide receiver. Um, yeah, so I think much more realistically, and it would it would it would essentially, you know, it would essentially give them the same results as a trade if Kadarius Tony can come back and all of a sudden have this incredible impact on the field. I mean, it's the same exact kind of result you'd be looking for. Uh, ditto, you know, Kenny Galladay. Obviously, that's that's a whole other conversation. Um, but that, I think that's probably the way that Shane and the Giants are looking at it. Like they they have those wide receivers on the roster. They just need to get them on the field. All right. Well, coming up next, the, the Giants have the Jaguars this week. So five and one Giants, two and four Jaguars. Like the Giants are probably getting some love in the betting public, right? Ooh, not so fast, Dan. We'll talk about that here coming up next. This is the typical sports book fantasy minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. Hello everyone, this is Nathan with the Bet Slippin' Podcast. Be sure to check out our sportsbook provider, uh, Tipico Sportsbook. All odds are presented by Tipico. Tipico Sportsbook is a global sports betting leader and they're live in New Jersey and Colorado. Make your favorite sports more interesting with Tipico's fast and easy mobile sportsbook app. New users from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Terms and conditions apply. If you have a gambling problem, please call 1-800-GAMBLER for New Jersey and 1-800-522-4700 for Colorado. You can get your welcome bonus at usabet.com slash podcast. All right, on to our game of the week. It is Chiefs at 49ers. The 49ers, again, three and a half points at home. The uh, the 49ers are three and one against the spread since 2020 as a home underdog. And this is a great buy low spot after they lost to the Falcons. They're number one in sack percentage and number two in opponents passing yards per game going against one of the most lethal offenses in the Patrick Mahomes-led Chiefs. Give me the 49ers to cover here. That was your typical Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. Ttipico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, Dan. As I said, the 5-1 and one Giants are underdogs. Underdogs against the 2-4 and four Jacksonville Jaguars on the road this week. Is that is that blatant disrespect for your Giants, Dan? I know you've been digging into this matchup a little bit. At first, I know you were... You were fired up when you saw the Giants were dogs, and I think it opened at, what, two and a half, right? And then it moved a point in Jacksonville's favor. It moved from two and a half to three and a half. It's, it's still crazy to me. So it's give me still, your take on this line. The Giants are big dogs. The three and a half point dogs on the road against Jacksonville. It's Explain strange this to me. because, you know, Vegas and betters apparently just don't. It, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Apparently they just don't view this as sustainable. They think the Giants are uh, Santa Claus, you know? Yeah, and I mean, you know, I guess, I guess realistically, if I think about it, you know, there there are a lot of factors at play here. Um, you know, the Giants are going from first of all, they're going on the road, which, you know, Vegas always kind of gives a little nod to the to the home team, no matter what the records are. Um, you know, for obvious reasons, um, the Giants are going from a cold environment to a warm environment, so I expect to see a lot of cramping issues. I know the Giants are working to prepare for that. 
but that's a different animal once you actually get down there from that's been a thing you know, this year May, it has right yep. autumn in, in new york to you know summer basically temperatures down in down in florida so buffalo, that's lo- buffalo lost some. that game in miami and it was stefan diggs couldn't even stay on the field at the end he was cramping so yeah, bad it's a so thing. I, that's I, a thing. I think those sorts of things they're definitely factor in and and you know listen jacksonville has a talented roster they just do you know i said it to you off air they're two and four but they're they're better than a two and four team. And I know the same people are going to use my own words against me and, and say, you just literally said you are what your record says you are. I know, I know, but they have a talented roster. They're certainly explosive in areas. Uh, they're very capable. They're very good linebackers. Um, but what gets me about this particular line isn't so much that the giants are being disrespected. It's that the giants are likely to go into this game as healthy as they've been all season, not healthy, you know, necessarily, but healthier, than they've been all season. And, you know, the more talent they get back on the field, you know, they could very legitimately have Aziz Ojolari back uh, this weekend, which would give them, you know, their defensive line and linebacker crew in full for the first time all season. They could get Cordell Flott back, uh, adding another talented cornerback for them. Uh, They could potentially, and we'll see how this goes as of this recording, I don't know. They could potentially get Kadarius Toney back which would obviously be a huge factor in the game potentially. So there, there are a lot of things that play right now that make me look at that line and say, you know, to some degree I get it, but to others I'm kind of like, you know, it, it's it's kind of crazy that they were considered um, the underdog in the first place. It's even crazier to me that the line is getting worse as time ticks away. And like you said, it's already, you know, a whole point has been added to it already as of this recording. So by the time this podcast goes out, uh, which would, you know, potentially be on, on uh, Thursday, you know, who knows where that line is going to be at the time. But I will tell you this, I'm not much of a betting man. You guys have heard me say that a million times, but I am very tempted to bet the Giants on this one. Money line or, or the spread, Dan? Do you think the Giants went out right? I think they went out right, yeah. Okay. Uh, in, okay, so the Jags do have a lot of talent on the roster. I agree with you 100%. I put that in my own notes. Um Individual matchups aside, though, from like the bird's eye view from the Goodyear blimp looking down on the game, uh, the Jaguars, they don't know how to win, Dan. They have no idea how to win. They're still trying to figure that out. Look at last week's game. Look at that game against Houston. Like they just they they are there. They're close. They just can't figure out how to win games at the end. And all the freaking Giants do is win at the end. Right. That's all they do. They just know how to win first. They have this gene all of a sudden. With Dayball and this like magic, they got four fourth quarter comebacks in six games, as we said earlier in the show. So one side doesn't know how to win. The other does. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, I do I do think, you know, being on the road is is a factor, but it's freaking Jacksonville. It's Jacksonville. How tough is that home field advantage? Right. I don't know. I think I really like Giants minus three and a half money line. That's a little riskier, but I you know, if you if you're telling me to do it, Dan, I would sprinkle some on the money line. But I really, really like the three and a half. I, I can absolutely see this being, a, like I said earlier in the show, I could see this being one of those scenarios where the Giants play down to the level of their opponents. And that's not, again, that's not taking a whole lot away from Jacksonville because they are a talented team, but they are a two and four team. Like you said, they, they haven't figured out how to win. Um, but I, I just, I just feel like the Giants are kind of on fire right now and they're starting yeah. to feed yep. off of the doubt. And it's not just Vegas and the betters that are, that are doubting them. I mean, there are analytics that are showing that, over the Giants' next five games, they're, they're the lowest percentage they have in terms of potential win comes against Dallas, and the second to that is this game against the Jaguars. And there's a part of me that just doesn't is not 
no, not understanding or rationalizing what the argument is, because I would argue that 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 game would be Seattle in Seattle when you have to travel to the West Coast and you you know, go up against a 12th man. Geno Smith is killing it. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, they got those big, talented wide receivers that can, you know, mold the Giants lacking secondary. That game scares me more than this game scares me. So I, I am confused with the analytics. I am confused with the betters. I am confused with the Jags. Maybe they're seeing something that I'm not seeing. Um but I can totally see. I don't think the Giants are going to blow them away by any stretch of the imagination. They're just not built. They're not built like that. That's not the team they are. Um, but I definitely can see them sneaking away with another, you know, another close game against the Jags. Potentially even, you know, with the last play being a ball going off of Evan Ingram's hands and into the arms of a Giants defender, because that would be the most fitting thing imaginable. <laughs> yes, yeah, we will see Evan Ingram. That's true. That's a great point. Uh, yeah, I I could see the Giants playing down to the competition a little bit, Dan, and still winning it in the fourth quarter, finding a way. Uh, this is kind of continuing that trend. Uh, so yeah, I think I think my pick would be minus three and a half. If you're going to give me three and a half, you're going to give me the hook with the Giants. Yeah, I'm taking that all day. I'm taking it all day. I'm I'm a little worried. Like, what do the sports books know that we, that we don't? What are we missing? It does. It's a weird line. It gives you pause. But I'm going to ignore that, Dan. I'm going to just say nope. I'm going to ride the <laughs> I'm going to ride the wave with the Giants. And then you know, folks, if you want to sprinkle a little bit on the money line at plus one thirty five, we'll see what that number looks like closer to kickoff. But plus one thirty five on the money line for the Giants. Think they could win it outright? I don't hate that either. I might put a put a unit on the money line. Why not? <laughs> I, I I just feel like I I just the team is they're so hot right now. They're and they're they're getting healthy at the right time. They're getting better. They're improving. It's just again I you know listen the people in Vegas they're they're paid big bucks to know this kind of stuff and and maybe they got something you know they know something that I don't know but you know we could have said that about each of the previous two weeks too and we all saw how that panned out. Well, that's Dan Benton right there, the managing editor of Giants Wire. Make sure you're checking out his stuff and his team. They do great work over there, and it's just a fun time to be reading content on the Giants. Go on Giants Wire, check it all out. There's, you know, what do you guys got coming before kickoff, Dan? Probably a lot of previewing, injury updates, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, just you know the kind of usual stuff that we do throughout the week. Uh, pending news, obviously, the NFL owners meetings are happening right now, and and there's a lot of stuff <laughs> involving the Commanders and. And uh, Jim Arisay's mm-hmm. you know, loose lips, and then you know, I know Mary and Tish are there. They they opted not to speak uh, on Tuesday. We'll see if that remains the case. Uh, they they do tend to like to talk Tish in particular, and I'm sure they've got a lot to say right now, especially with some of these threats and, and things that are being thrown around in the in the NFC East. So there's potential for some explosive stories there. Uh, we'll see. If not, then it's just the general previewing of the Jacksonville game, injury updates. You know, uh, looking into storylines, matchups, uh, analytics, you know, keys to the games, things of that nature. So there'd be plenty, plenty of content for everybody. Well, check Dan's stuff out on uh, Giants Wire. Seriously, it's it's worth it. I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us this week. Again, hit subscribe if you could. We appreciate you all. Tell a friend about the podcast. Join this little fun little ride we're all we're all on together. We're we're having a great time doing the show. We hope you're having fun listening to it. And uh, we'll catch you next week after Giants Jags. We'll see Dan if we have a. Uh, the worst six and one football team in, in, in the league. We'll see <laughs> maybe in NFL history. Yeah. Well, let's, it'd be great. Let's, let's keep that ball rolling. Let's just continue to be the worst team that keeps winning. <laughs> we'll catch you all next week. This USA Today sports podcast has been presented by USA Today's sports media group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates. 
The latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini and the Huddle Podcast. Inside the Weekly Line with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.